welcome to Shameless, the celebrity and pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined as always by Melbourne journalists Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello. Coming up on today's show, the many and varied reasons Kanye West absolutely should not become president. Plus, the controversial Harper's letter signed by scores of high-profile journalists and artists lamenting cancel culture. And then a conversation about influencers, politics and a pandemic. As 2020 exposed the influencers who want nothing more than to sit idly in their cocoon of comfort and privilege. But first, Michelle, how was your week? We're back in lockdown. Hooray, all Melburnians. It's It's been a sad week, I'm not going to lie. The one thing that picked me back up out of my slump was in last week's episode, we promised the listeners that we were going to do a bit of a competition a bit, a bit of a Mish V Zara situation. Bit of a compi comp. Bit of a compi comp where, oh, I hate that. Yeah, same, by the yeah. way. <laughs> as soon as it came out of my mouth, I was like, no, take it back. <laughs> I do not endorse. <laughs> so we sat down with Annabelle. We were blindfolded and we had to match the celebrity fragrance to the celebrity. And I was not confident going into that competition. Mm. I went in feeling like I might get curious by Britney Spears, right? And that was the only one. I was astonished to not just win, but win and beat you in a landslide. It was an absolute landslide. For those who haven't watched the video, it's on our Instagram <laughs> at Shameless Podcast. And Michelle won five to two. So you guessed five of the seven celebrity scents. Mm. I'm not going to lie. You know as well as I do that was a fucking fluke. There is no way you can have skill with this. I don't I don't mind giving you the win and saying I was terrible at it, but don't tell me there was skill involved. The only one that I will claim that I got and I got it on like talent and merit was the Paris Hilton heiress one. I cannot believe that you blindly smelt that Paris Hilton perfume and did not immediately think sugary over-the-top, glittery Paris Hilton. You guessed, I think you guessed Mariah Carey or something for that Sugary, over-the-top. <laughs> like, come on. No, no, no. True perfume connoisseurs know there's a big difference in smelling Mariah Carey to smelling Paris Hilton. But that's what I did. I envisaged, as I was smelling these sickly sweet scents, I envisaged what celebrity would be standing in front of me. The other one that was very clear was Rihanna, and you didn't get that one either. Okay. Also, one thing I do want to note and put on the record here is Michelle <laughs> did this before I did. So I walked into our office... <laughs> after Michelle had done this and I nearly fainted. This It was so strong smelling of perfume. So I almost couldn't smell anything. It was I was sickly about Aww. it all. But I don't mind. Someone did comment on the um, video and said, I don't know why Zara didn't use her oracle powers for this. And I understand. <laughs> I, I do understand the question. I just don't think that sometimes I need to pull them out for things as mundane as a celebrity fragrance competition I wanted nothing to do with. But I will I will whip them out next time if that's what the people are after. My favourite part about this podcast is there are that many personal jokes that we've littered throughout the years that I always wonder about the listeners who have only discovered us in like the last two episodes who are like, what the fuck? Oh, How is Zara an oracle? I just am very good at predicting the future. Except for celebrity purpose. But that's not, that's not predicting... That's not predicting anything. That's just matching a scent. I'm talking about predicting the future. I, I True oracles out there will understand the difference. Any recommendations this week? I kind of want to give you one prediction for the next week just to test how you're going because you've had a bit of a stumble with the perfume thing. Should we test it again? What's the weather in Townsville going to be on Wednesday? This coming Wednesday? Yep. Okay. Maybe go a bit further out because I could probably just Google that. But, but I'm you're not, not going to because I'm sitting right in front of you. All right. Well, all I need to do, and I think people understand this who <laughs> understand how my oracle works, is I do need to do a bit of research. No, you're yeah. not doing that. You just got to stab in the dark. Come on. Well, I don't know what the fuck the weather is in Townsville <laughs> in July. Well, that's the oracle power. All right, Townsville, you're going to be um, 29 and <laughs> mostly sunny. No, 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 no. It's July. Yeah. Well, how far north is Townsville? <laughs> think it's that far oh no it's not 29 hold on let me revise 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 Townsville hey by the way hello Townsville let's go down a bit let's go let's go to 20 um 20 (laughs) she's sweating let's go around 24 okay Partly cloudy. partly cloudy. Yeah, I could see that coming out of your yeah. lips as it came out. Yep, great. Okay. All right, onwards. Any recs this week? I do have a recommendation. I want to recommend a product which, again, these products are never sponsored when we mention them in this recommendation segment. I do want everyone who has thin hair, only for thin-haired people, which I would say includes you, Zara Absolutely McDonald, does. Fine-haired friends, to go out and buy the Bumble and Bumble 
thickening hairspray. Disclaimer, it is pricey as far as hairsprays go. How pricey are we talking? I almost don't want to say because it is at the very oh, upper mate. tier of what I would spend. I, I know. Okay, so it's about 40 bucks. We're in the middle of an economic crisis and a <laughs> pandemic and you're recommending a $40 thickening hairspray. You can get it on sale though. There are some sales online. Go have a look for it. I promise you, I've been using this for two years now. So I've been sitting on this recommendation for a long, long time. And I know that recommending expenny hair products can be a little bit grating. This thickening <laughs> hairspray is good. I promise you it makes my hair feel voluminous and like a little bit edgier and a bit more rough where my hair often looks limp and too silky and annoying. Well, I've been trying to find hair products for a very long time because my hair's been like, you know, falling out and just the, the rest of that really fun stuff that's come with 2020. And I've tried that many products and nothing really seems to be sticking. I do want to help you with your recommendation because I'm just Googling it as I'm sitting here. You can buy a 50 mil trial bottle from Mecca for $18, which may be a bit more doable if yes. you want to see if it works for you before you invest in the full thing. I absolutely love that. My other recommendation is do not use too much. If you use too much, your hair will become like a sticky, clumpy mess. Less is more. Less is more. What about you? Tell me about your week. Week was pretty quiet. We are back <laughs> in lockdown. It, you know, it, there was a real flatness in the air. I'm not going to lie. Mm. I think that this lockdown had a particularly distinct feel about it in comparison to the last one. I do feel like people were a little bit more resigned, upset, annoyed. And I think that there's a real sense of like monotony around the next six weeks. That said, we will get through it, yeah. will we not? We absolutely will. I will do my best to watch as much TV as I can so that I can recommend things because I never usually do that. And in the spirit of recommending TV shows to get you through this period, Ooh. I've been watching one. <gasps> Give Zara me a clap, McDonald. Annabelle. Zara McDonald watching anything on a screen. This is revolutionary. I know. I have smashed through the first season of Billions on Stan. Oh, why do I care? Um, <laughs> it sounds like rich people. It is. It's a finance firm and it's all about like corruption and stuff like that. To be fair <laughs> to anyone listening to this who thinks I'm not very interested in finance and don't understand anything about the markets or investing. Nor <laughs> Imagine trying to sell a TV show about like what? The stock it's, the stock market. No, but it's about rich people playing with a lot of money and there's just like a lot of drama and crime. Okay. It's like it's like white collar crime, but I don't understand it either. And I don't think you have to have <laughs> a really great grasp on the minutiae of what they're talking about to love the show. What I fundamentally believe that. How much sex is involved? Interesting. One of the characters has a real kink obsession and it's the first scene of the whole show and there's a lot of kink stuff. So kink tell me. Stuff. Is it more so the sex that gets you through every episode than the money stuff? It's actually the crimey bits. It's like them trying to investigate. And there's like a a few affairs and ah, it's good. I feel like if you throw a good juicy affair story into anything, I'll be along for the ride. Yeah, there's a few love triangle thingies. Mm. And I think, uh, look, I don't know if you actually (laughs) like the show, Michelle. It has been around for a very long time. There are like four seasons already. But I do think it's on Stan if you've got Stan. Watch the first few episodes. Like I said, don't be put off if you don't actually understand the minutiae of what they're talking about, nor do I. Do you watch the acting and think, I could act this better than these <laughs> actors too? No, I'm you not that arrogant. Having... I, I watch Famous in Love, that other show okay. on Stan, and think I could do this better. Did you ever finish that? Yeah, I got about five episodes in. Oh, so no, you yeah, didn't. That's, that's a no. <laughs> and that is why friends and family listening to this, we do not recommend things before we've probably watched it. <laughs> oh, no. I did disclaim though, before I recommended that, that I'd only watched two episodes. You did. You might have just wasted hours of listeners' time, but that's okay. That's okay. (laughs) They've got time now if they live in Melbourne. Shall we get into the show? Let's start with Kanye, not for Prez. We absolutely should. Kanye West is indeed running for president. Earlier in the year, he said that he would be running for president in 2024. He has brought that date forward by four years and has now said that he's running for president right now. Yes, so he is running for president in about four months, November 2020. And all this despite the fact that he is yet to register with the Federal Election Commission, which means there's every possibility that his registration will not be valid by the time that the election is on. Hence, I have no idea what we're even doing. Yeah, I don't know what we're talking about either because he has missed the deadline to appear on the ballot in a number of states. But he argued, apparently, in an interview with Forbes, that he could be added as a latecomer due to the coronavirus. 
Don't check me on whether that's actually factually correct. I mean, four months is not a long time to kind of, you know, get yourself in order to be the world's most powerful person. Yeah, this story is really interesting, right? Because obviously it's going to be a social media storm. Obviously it's going to be meme city when Kanye West announces he's going to run for president. It's going to be what, sorry? Meme city. Meme city. (gasps) Have I told you about my friend that says meme? She doesn't think it's meme. She thinks it's meme. Oh, my mum says that. (laughs) Maybe my friend that I'm thinking of is Trish McDonald. Yeah, maybe it is. Meme city. Well, it was meme city. Everyone was kind of making memes saying, if this is proof of anything, it's that men apply for any job, regardless of how qualified they are. Women take this as a sign that you should apply for that job today. Fair call. So as much as this was kind of laughed at and talked about online, It is worthwhile actually looking into Kanye West's personal politics. I mean, if he's potentially going to take some of the young progressive vote away from Joe Biden and potentially aid, non-intentionally, but aid Donald Trump, we need to talk about what he actually stands for. Yeah, and we should also talk about his psyche because I think the conversation has kind of lacked one key point, which is not the point, but it is a point that... It's kind of impossible for us to know what's going on in the head of Kanye West knowing his history with mental health, right? Yeah, well, we need to be sensitive about this whenever we talk about Kanye West and that Kanye West has had a battle with bipolar disorder and historic opioid abuse across his lifetime. And he has been open about that for the last three or so years. He was also admitted to a psychiatric hospital against his will in November 2016 when he had to cancel abruptly, cancel 20 of his St. Pablo tour shows. So... I'm not saying that you shouldn't be running for president if you are someone with a history of mental illness. What I am saying is that multiple sources close to the rapper and close to the Kardashian family have said that this is symptomatic of a manic depressive episode for Kanye West and potentially this is just a few weeks of him being quite unwell, which he has been open about experiencing across the last 12, 24, 48 months. Yeah, and while it's an incredibly relevant point too, it also doesn't discount the many damaging things that he can put into public discourse, which we also should unpack can actually talk about. He did, like I said before, do an interview with Forbes where he said he would run under the banner of the birthday party because we win when it's everybody's birthday. As someone whose birthday is in one week, I think that's true. We do win when it's everyone's birthday. Did you drop that because you want people to know it's your birthday and you want us all to like give you some love? And don't you doubt that next Monday as well, I'll be dropping it on the episode. What should I post on our Instagram account on your birthday? Unfortunately, I am unashamedly very in love with my own birthday and everyone else's too. I I think birthdays are great. So this is one thing that I agree with Kanye West. Vote one Kanye West. Vote one Kanye West. No, that's a joke. His campaign slogan is not Barack Obama's yes, we can, but just yes. Mm. And he had a quote which was quite interesting in Forbes where he said, Obama's special, Trump's special. We say Kanye West is special. American needs special people that lead. Bill Clinton, special. Joe Biden's not special. You have to think then off the back of what we were saying at the very start in that he may not even be able to register in time for the actual election, that this may be a pretty easy ploy to pull votes from Joe Biden and actually kind of ease Trump's pathway back into the White House. Yeah, maybe. I actually don't think it's a strategic or political play at all. I think this might be symptomatic of the headspace that he's in right now. Yeah, most likely. I do want to talk about the fact that Kanye West is staunchly pro-life. That stance has never changed regardless of how his mental health is doing. He has described Planned Parenthood in the past as the work of white supremacists who do the devil's work, which is very, very interesting to me because I literally just recently watched an episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Yes, for anyone listening, I'm still watching every single episode where Kim Kardashian goes into Planned Parenthood to actually educate that viewership about the importance of family planning and the importance of women having autonomy over their own bodies. It's so interesting to have this insight into the personal politics of this couple because Kim Kardashian West and Kanye West have almost polar opposite views on their political beliefs and their value systems. Well, this is what I wanted to raise with you because I find it so astounding whenever I hear couples, and it's not often, but couples that are together with very marked different political beliefs. Like I don't understand how that relationship functions because it's not just about being pro-life. Kanye West is also staunchly anti-vax, particularly when it comes to the COVID-19 vaccine. He told Forbes, it's so many of our children that are being vaccinated and paralyzed. So when they say, the way we're going to fix COVID is with a vaccine. I'm extremely cautious. That's the mark of the beast. They want to put chips inside of us. They want to do all kinds of things to make it where we can't cross the gates of heaven. Kim Kardashian West is also 
pro-vaccination in another episode. She required her entire family to get the whooping cough vaccine if they wanted to be around her child. This is a difference opinion, not just on vaccination, but abortion too, as you just said. It's it's very interesting to me how a couple can stay alive with such different fundamental beliefs. Yeah, it'd be very difficult as well, I think, for Kim Kardashian to see all of this playing out in the media, to watch him go and do a rambling interview with Forbes. Forbes said that that chat with Kanye West went on for four hours. Yeah, wow. And described it as being quite manic as well. And I think watching your husband go through that when you know that he might be struggling mentally behind closed doors would be incredibly difficult because how do you hold them back and kind of protect them from themselves a little bit? This is the man who once said that slavery was a choice and then took a bit of a break from Twitter to kind of take a deep breath and recalibrate and come back to his centre. So I think in the past he has definitely said things that he now regrets. I think also one thing to note, and I agree with you, I don't think this is like completely strategic because I think that there is some just uh, overwhelming passion and desire for him to kind of pursue this goal that he's always spoken about. Like it's not completely surprising, but he is preparing to release his 10th studio album. So I think there might be something subconscious about wanting to be in the public eye at this time as he's about to release new music. I think that is an important point to note. I do want to talk to you very quickly before we wrap this segment up about the Elon Musk backflip. Oh my God, amazing stuff, huh? This backflip was so quick quick and perfectly executed from Elon Musk. For those who missed it, Elon Musk was one of the very few people in the public eye to retweet Kanye West's announcement that he was going to run for the presidential election in 2020. And he basically tweeted saying, you have my full support. Exclamation mark. Exclamation mark. It took all of about 24 or 48 hours for Elon Musk to retract that support and tweet, we may have more differences of opinion than I anticipated. The best part about it is he replied saying, you have my full support. Someone replied to that saying, really, Elon? And then posted a link to Kanye's anti-abortion and anti-vaccination stance. And then he replied to that on the same thread <laughs> being like, yes, we may have more differences of opinion than I anticipated. I mean, if Elon Musk wants to admit that he's wrong, I'm going to support it. Thank you, next bitch. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity news cycle. Zara, Alice with an E, McDonald, what do you have for me? My first story is probably one of my favourites from the week. Dame Helen Mirren bravely chased away Bear who broke into a Lake Tahoe garden. That is from the mirror. What? Did you say this story around? No. Bravely chased away Bear. I think the headline says a bit more than what actually happened. No. Yes. Bit of a Russell Crowe situation. (laughs) Huge Rusty Crowe situation. (laughs) Anyway, so I wanted to read you the lead from this Mirror story. Dame Helen Mirren chased a North American black bear out of her US home after it broke into her garden and stole her bird feed. (laughs) The seven to four-year-old actress has been locked down at her new base in Lake Tahoe, where she had been enjoying endless entertainment by wildlife until the pesky intruder stole her nuts. I went out and I said, bad bear, very naughty bear. <laughs> My British accent. <laughs> it's not a British accent. Says Say the, it again. Bad bear, very naughty bear, <laughs> says the feisty actress, which saw him take heed and retreat. She, so she didn't chase him. All she said was, tut, 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 piss off bear. And the bear went away. I think it's important here to include how big the bear was. Are we talking? Because in my head, I'm imagining a bear that's like taller than I am and like Thicker than I am, obviously, because bears are pretty thick animals. (laughs) No shame in like the bear game. I'm just saying, I want to know how big this bear is. Because if it's like Winnie the Pooh, if it's like Winnie the Pooh, like up to your knee or something, who's just running away, that's not a big deal. Nah, fuck that. If I saw a bear of any size, I'm freaking out. It doesn't actually say, the Mirror article just says that black bears can grow to six foot and weigh up to 30 stone, which by the way, I don't actually know how to convert. 30 stone in kg. Here's a bit of a live Google for you all. It is 190 kilos. <laughs> Again, no shame in the bear game. No shame in the bear game. <laughs> they are quite big boned creatures. <laughs> My second story. It's official. Kira Maguire confirms her romance with Love Island's Matthew Zakowski, spoiling the new season of Bachelor in Paradise before it has even begun. That is the Daily Mail and time is a flat circle and the only thing we can bet on is Bachelor in Paradise being spoiled by one of its contestants before it started. I'm just surprised, Zara, that a paparazzo would be at the tan. Yeah, in so Melbourne. it was the tan in Melbourne that they were caught kissy kissy. Yeah, kissy kissy and like huggy huggy and handy holdy, handy holdy, which 
I'm not entirely sure the Tan, which is a popular walking path track, if you've never been to Melbourne, is regularly populated by paparazzi. Look, let me put it this way. I reckon I walk the Tan at the moment about once or twice a week and I have never seen a pap <laughs> on their own volition just just roaming the path waiting for a celeb to be hand-holding and kissy-kissy their partner. Waiting for two ex-reality TV stars. Oh, well, I guess I wouldn't call Kira Maguire ex. She's about to She's be a reality TV star again. But I, just waiting for reality TV stars. If it was Beck Judd walking the tan, I would be a little bit more accepting of this headline. I'm intrigued because I don't know how it works with Bachelor in Paradise and their contestants accidentally spoiling the series because it happens every time yeah you're right it does but then again like friend of the show beloved friend of the show abby chatfield i'm not sure that she's online saying that she's anything but single right now i certainly get the impression from abby's social media that she's not dating anyone from the show maybe she's an artist at hiding it an artiste but i wonder if the longer these reality shows go on and the bigger profiles they create for their contestants Networks just can't have that super tight control over social media platforms anymore and what you post on Instagram every single day. And what's to say it's not breach of contract if you're just caught in the act rather than announcing it yourself? Yeah, true. With very crystal clear pap shots taken by people standing metres away that apparently Kira and Matthew did not notice. Story number three, Boohoo launches supply chain review following exploitation claims. This is from Refinery29. A pretty horrifying story out of the retail space this week, Mish. Yeah, lots of people are asking us to boycott Boohoo and they have absolutely grounds to ask that of us because Boohoo was very much on the black tile bandwagon back for Blackout Tuesday. They were posting a lot of content actually on their social media about needing to pull themselves up, about needing to do better, about needing to have more diversity and inclusion, not just across their social media profiles, but also across their business in general. So for a brand to take such an optical stand online and say, we're here, we're listening, we're learning, to have it revealed that they have been paying some factory workers £3.50, the equivalent of $4.40 US an hour at the moment, despite the minimum wage in the area being $10.97, is not a great look. Yeah, it's less than 50% of the minimum wage. So this was revealed in a uh, Sunday Times investigation where they're calling it a slavery probe because it is reportedly such poor working conditions with such poor pay. Boohoo Group responded by saying they are deeply shocked by allegations and said it was a supply chain issue where they weren't aware that the workers were being paid so little and were working in such terrible conditions. They also announced that they were going to commit 10 million pounds, which is about 20 million Australian dollars, to eradicate supply chain malpractice. I just don't think that is anywhere near good enough. How can you not know what every tier of worker in your company is earning? It's just not an excuse at all. It's really odd, isn't it? I, I don't think it's good enough at all either because I understand that the retail space is a complicated one and supply chain is a complicated thing. But I think if you're going to hire people to make your clothes, you need to know at every single point how those people are being paid. And if you're hiring a third-party company to make these clothes, then you need to know what their practices are too. Like the buck stops with you. Absolutely. And to the influencers working with a brand like this, you also have to ask yourself, what exactly are you supporting? One bit of good news, which is very bad news for the founders of Boohoo, but I think a bit of a silver lining in all of this is that people are responding. People are taking action. In the last few days, Boohoo's market value has plunged by $1.89 billion, with a B, People are furious. People are angry. They don't want to support this brand. And I think that's a really great step in the right direction. Yeah. And wholesalers have been pulling the, the brands too. So that is a good step for sure. Story number four. Here's what you need to know about the wild rumour that TikTok might be banned in Australia. That is from Pedestrian. Michelle, talk to me about this. If you listen to some politicians in Australia, but also in the US and places like the UK, TikTok is being used by the Chinese government to spy on us. They accuse the app of having spyware inbuilt into the platform. Of course, this also comes back to like all the concerns that we've heard before about data mining and all that good stuff. But there is now a real push that is going to the upper echelons of governments to have this app banned. Do I think it will be banned? I don't really know. I'm not exactly an expert in data <laughs> access and online technology. However, it's an interesting time. And I want to ask you, Zara, 
Do you care? Do you care if you have TikTok on your phone, which I'm not sure if you do. We all know that I adore TikTok. I have the app. I never use it. I don't mind watching TikTok videos on Instagram when people have like mm. curated the funny ones for me. Mm. What was your question? Do, do I- you care that they're potentially mining your data or that there's spyware on there? I mean, this is a really hard one because I would love to say yes. Mm. I would love to say yes, but I think that I'm a product of my generation and how much time I've spent online right now with the full knowledge that I have every app under the sun on my phone and my data has probably been mined within an inch of its life. So if I care about this, do I have to care about the others? I think as well, when we're talking about spyware or we're talking about data mining, it feels like I'm such a tiny minuscule cog in the machine that it's not actually personal to me. And therefore I struggle to care about the greater, broader picture for like national security. And I think that you and I are in the absolute majority. I think a lot of young people are very much in the dark about how it kind of tangibly impacts the world. Mm. And I think better education would be awesome. I could definitely deal with that because I don't want to play down the severity of it, but I also have to admit when I don't understand the kind of gravity of it. The thing that makes me care about this the most is conversations about political interference and propaganda. So when these massive tech companies can service us ads that potentially have lies and false information in them to influence the way we vote politically and that's when this gets incredibly dark and incredibly murky and incredibly serious but when I read an article like this that says they know all your information they're using it to develop this big map I guess of the world and psychographics I struggle to care I need it to be like pinned down to something specific and that's when I begin to think more carefully about my online activity yeah if I can see the consequence if someone can paint me a picture of it then I can probably care my last story Mitch Kylie Jenner dethroned no longer Instagram's highest paid celebrity that is from iHeartRadio and before I tell you who the highest paid celebrity is I would like to welcome the oracle back to the table because did I not Talk about this person last week very randomly. You did, but is it an oracle thing to talk about one of the most famous people in the world randomly on a celebrity and pop culture podcast completely out of the context that we are now talking about him? Well, it's The Rock (laughs) and I don't think we had ever brought up The Rock in about 150 episodes of this damn thing until last (gasps) week. So if you want to call that an oracle hunch, I'll allow it. Guess what The Rock gets paid per Instagram post? I did read it. It was like over a million bucks. One million and fifteen thousand dollars. So much money. For one sponsorship post. Can you imagine? Like just imagine. That is more money than I've ever seen in my entire lifetime. For one Instagram post. You'd have to get so completely numb to it, wouldn't you? You'd have to. You would absolutely have to. Money would just become like complete numbers to you. You'd just be feel like you're in a complete swimming pool where you could do whatever the fuck you wanted. That was a weird analogy. Am I gonna stick by that? A swimming pool? No, because you're in a bigger thing than a swimming pool you're in an ocean yeah you're in the Atlantic how many followers does the rock even have and why is he relevant why do people care about the rock I don't know that's all I gotta (laughs) say (laughs) I actually have no idea part of me thinks that the sense around the rock and I might have to come back next week and fact check this is that he's a good guy he's a good dad yes there's something about the rock where people think he's good Anyway, I'll probably have to come back next week and fact check that when someone says, the rock sucks. Can someone, yeah, I would actually love for a listener to get in touch. Call the hotline if you want. Go to our website, shamelessthepodcast.com. Leave a hotline message. I want your theories as to why Dwayne The Rock Johnson has 189 million followers. 189 million. What have we missed? Mish, that's all I've got for you today. Thank you so much. Coming up after the break, the controversial open letter that reinvigorated claims that J.K. Rowling is a transphobe, plus the great influencer divide. But first, a word from our wonderful sponsor. On Tuesday, famous feminist writers J.K. Rowling, Gloria Steinem and Margaret Atwood were among 150 luminaries to sign a controversial open letter warning the public against what they deem to be rising censoriousness. The letter, published in Harper's Magazine, has unsurprisingly sparked both applause and condemnation online, with some considering concerns about open debate and freedom of thought and speech to be actually masquerading more toxic sentiments like transphobia. Zara, the letter said that we are currently experiencing a dangerous rise in, and I quote, an intolerance of opposing views and, another quote, a vogue for public shaming and ostracism. I want to know, were you surprised to see some of the very famous, very championed, heralded names attached to this open letter? 
Not really, no, because I think for me when I first saw this letter and I didn't actually, my exposure to the letter came through Twitter commentary before I actually read the letter, which I feel like is so symptomatic of our time, right? Mm. I read the outrage and wondered what the hell the outrage was about. So when I saw these names and they all seemed like a certain type of name, right? A certain type of journalist, academic, artist of a certain kind of era. And I know that they're not all of the same age, but they are quite a bit older than us. I wasn't surprised that these people would be fighting for what they call freedom of speech and a greater tolerance for opposing views. I was, though, a little dismayed to see it. I'm really interested to hear that you brought up the age of the people who contributed to this first and foremost, because I did the same thing. I think anyone who might be sitting there wondering what the hell is going on, this letter was taking aim at people in the progressive left. So it's academics from the left taking aim at other people in the left saying we can no longer voice our opinions. It's basically a whole letter about PC culture gone mad is the way I read it. I think that's a really good way to put it. It's like a very layman's way to put it, but I think that's absolutely it. Yeah. And what I thought reading it, I'm like, okay, well, there's great diversity on both sides of this argument. The people who signed this letter, it's not like they're all white people. It's not like they're all men. There was great diversity of race and cultural background and gender and sex. What I did find interesting is the one divide I could see was age in that the average age I calculated using 50 of the people who signed this letter. There were 150. I'm not going to lie. I didn't have time to go and research 150 different people's ages. Yeah, cool. So I just found the 50 that I could find first. I went down the list in alphabetical order of all the names. So I spent about half an hour doing this. And after calculating the average of 50 different people's ages, the average age of signatories on this is 63. I think that's a big, big point. And also congrats for doing that maths. You seem to be the in-house mathematician here at Shameless. I do love it. I don't know why. I just love being able to like land on a stat that I can find myself. Well, it's nice confirmation bias when you have a feeling and then it's backed up by a stat. Like you said, of 50 of the 150. I will say the youngest person I found was 29. The oldest person I think was 94. There you go. So one of the quotes from this letter was, the free exchange of information and ideas, the lifeblood of a liberal society is daily becoming more constricted. The letter also cited an intolerance of opposing views, a vogue for public shaming, as Mish said, and the tendency to dissolve complex policy issues in blinding moral certainty. As writers, we need a culture that leaves us room for experimentation, risk-taking and even mistakes. I do think it's important to reiterate the point that this is not a whole bunch of white people talking about cancel culture. It's actually spearheaded by a man called Thomas Chatterton Williams, who is black. Williams said in an interview, we wanted the document to reflect the reality that many people who are not old white men share these concerns. So there's a real layer of complexity here to this letter. There is, but I think the complexity is symptomatic of the 150 signatories, but also the people who have penned this letter for intentionally using unclear confusing language like a lot of the language in this letter I cannot pin down to anything they kind of give broad examples when discussing this one of the quotes was someone who is in good faith disagreement is that referring to JK Rowling one of the signatories saying that trans women are anything other than women like I'm really confused as to why they've written this in such watery broad terms because no one knows what the fuck they're talking about I was really confused because a lot of smart people signed this and I say smart not not even in inverted commas. I mean, people like Malcolm Gladwell and Gloria Steinem and Margaret Atwood, who are much smarter than you or I. And I feel quite confused when I acknowledge that fact, because I'm like, am I missing something here? Because I don't really feel like I am. It just reads weirdly to me. It reads like 150 people who are experiencing like relevance deprivation or something Mm. as if public discourse is evolving and changing and they demand that it exists in the form that it always did because the way that it once existed helped their success and now they can't stand that the train has left the station and they're not on it. What I keep thinking, I've read it a few times now and I've done my research reading from the Atlantic and the Washington Post in particular – Part of me does feel like this was the famous academic community closing ranks around J.K. Rowling. I find the timing of this to be really interesting. According to the Washington Post, the idea of doing this letter and publishing it in Harper's Magazine was coined one month ago. And that aligns exactly with when J.K. Rowling landed herself in an absolute clusterfuck of transphobia, when she insinuated that trans women are not women, that they're encroaching on cisgendered women's spaces, and that she was very upset about that. I find the timing to be incredibly interesting. I have to completely disagree with you there, because I think with 150 people, this is so much more than J.K. Rowling, and I find that nothing but a coincidence. I think the tone of public discourse has certainly changed 
change, especially during a pandemic and especially during a more inflamed kind of Black Lives Matter conversation. And I think this is what they're pushing back on. I think it was luck that JK had also landed herself in hot water and would therefore attach her very high profile name to this letter. But I saw Malcolm Gladwell tweet anyway, saying, the point of this letter was not that I agreed with every single person that I signed it. There were so many people on this letter that I disagreed with, and that's the point of signing it. So I don't know if they're closing ranks. I imagine that a lot of people who signed that letter disagreed with JK, but still agreed with the sentiment expressed in the letter. I'm not doubting the signatory's intentions. Apparently, this letter was sent out to dozens and dozens and dozens of people who had no idea who else was signing it. Yeah. What I'm doubting is the intentions of the people who wrote the letter and chose to send it to JK Rowling in particular. I find that decision to be a oh. very interesting one because that's a branding decision and why do you want J.K. Rowling's name and personal politics attached to this movement? I don't even think they care about branding. I think that they just want high-profile names to endorse this very kind of watery but what they believe is an important sentiment. I, I guess my whole opinion of this open letter is coloured by J.K. Rowling's involvement. Yeah. Because I do think she is such a transphobe and I do think some of the things that have come out of her mouth recently have been disgraceful and gross. I mean, this is a woman who only recently equated hormone therapy for transgender children to gay conversion therapy, which is just such a conflation that is so dangerous and ill-advised and doesn't actually speak to many of the experiences in the trans community. I also despise that JK Rowling, two days ago after the publishing of this letter, tweeted out, to quote the inimitable Lillian Hellman, I cannot and will not cut my conscience to fit this year's fashions, implying that transgenderism is a trend. Well, I think you're absolutely right. When you're zeroing in on JK, I think you're expressing a sentiment that a lot of people can't get their heads around or can't see past, myself included, as to some of the names attached to this letter colours the entire sentiment. She's not the only one that I have an issue with. Other people that signed this letter include a guy called Ian Baruma who lost his job. He was the editor of the New York Review of Books. And during the Me Too movement, he published an essay from Canadian media personality Gian Gameshi, who was accused by more than 20 women of harassment and misconduct with the headline reflections from a hashtag. So he was sacked because he was platforming a guy who wanted to make excuses for his conduct. Mm. Another person who signed this was Ronald S. Sullivan Jr., who was a former Harvard Law School professor who had to leave his position as faculty dean of an undergraduate residence because he was in the part of the legal defence of Harvey Weinstein. So J.K. Rowling is not alone as one of a really controversial figure here because she too was peddling some damaging, horrendous anti-trans rhetoric. When you see these names attached to this letter, you can't help but think that these people just want the right to say whatever they want and damage whoever they want in the process. Do you think that's what it is? Like, I actually want to get to the heart of this letter and its message. Do you believe that we are struggling with having open debate right now? Because from where I stand... I don't think that's a problem. What I think has changed importantly over the last five years in particular is that we are being more selective with who we want in the debate. We want to hear things debated between people who actually have the lived experience and the background to bring a level of insight to different topics. For example, when it comes to the trans experience, we want to hear from women like Joan Westenberg, who wrote for the Shameless Newsletter a couple of weeks ago about being a trans woman. We don't want to hear from someone necessarily who wrote a bunch of really popular fiction books about a wizard. Like, this is where I'm getting confused that all these people who signed this letter, to me, seem to imply that they want to be the go-to authority on every social topic. But society has moved beyond that. We want to hear from people who have something to say because they've lived it. Yeah, and they're the people that we've silenced for so many years, right? I agree with you. I don't think that we're in a climate that's stifling debate. I think we're encouraging debate from people who haven't always had the chance to be part of it. And I think that this is a whole bunch of people who have huge power and huge platform who are realising that in the last couple of years they may have to give up parts of that power to allow other people to tell their stories. There was a really great quote on Twitter from Benjamin Park who said, my immediate reaction to the Harper's letter was remembering all those studies about how privileged voices always overestimate the extent to which marginalised voices dominate any particular conversation. Yes. That really sung to me because I thought there is so much to be said about privileged people realising that other people are part of the conversation and them not wanting to give up any of that power. Yeah, well, imagine signing this letter as someone who might have tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands or millions of followers and insinuating that your voice is being stifled. That is the opposite of having a stifled voice. You have a huge platform and a massive reach and a massive ability to influence your following. 
for people like J.K. Rowling to insinuate that they're being muzzled or something is beyond baffling to me. And it also harps back to our point a couple of weeks ago that spoke to the fact that white people don't really get cancelled. They get called out, but no one's stopping them from speaking. I do want to say a handful of people have come out and distanced themselves from this letter who signed it, didn't know who else was signing it, has seen the backlash and then kind of been like, oh, fuck, 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 I don't want to be associated with this. Writer Phoebe maltz Bovy wrote for the Washington Post and actually said... On reflection, looking at the luminaries involved, it was incredibly contradictory to insinuate that any of their platforms were being eroded or that any of their voices were being stifled. She wrote, It was only once the letter appeared in Harper's that I began having doubts. On a more principled level, I cringed. Here was a list made up of largely uncancellables, Margaret Atwood, J.K. Rowling, and high-profile usual suspects, Mark Lilla, Steven Pinker, with, yes, a few unexpected names here and there, like Noam Chomsky. The message itself was, is, sound, and yet the messengers, as a collective, risk obscuring it. Yeah, I quite like that quote. I mean, this could be a much bigger conversation about how I feel about people who signed it and then pulled out because they got some bad publicity. Like, I find it a little bit harder to swallow just because the letter didn't go down in the way they wanted to, that they suddenly want to kind of, you know, distance themselves from it. But I agree with her. I think there is always something to be said about freedom of speech. I mean, we are journalists, but I'm a believer in freedom of speech up until a point. There was an interesting quote by a guy called Nicholas Lehman, who was a staff writer for The New Yorker, and he spoke to The New York Times. He signed this letter and he said, what concerns me is a sense that a lot of people out there seem to think open argument over everything is an unhealthy thing. I spent my whole life having vigorous arguments with people I disagree with and don't want to think we are moving out of this world. And this is a quote that I find interesting because I am one of those people that clearly Nicholas Lehman wouldn't like because I don't think that we have the right to debate everything. I think it's a fundamental reason as to why we closed our Facebook group because not everything deserves a debate on a public level. Some things are true and some things are false and we are happy to stand by that. I wanted to finish by quoting Sarah Ahmed who was a feminist writer, and she wrote this quote in 2015, but it started circulating again after the publication of this Harper's letter on Twitter. She wrote back then, whenever people keep being given a platform to say they have no platform, or whenever people speak endlessly about being silenced, you not only have a performative contradiction, you are witnessing a mechanism of power. Over the last few weeks, Mish and I found ourselves in a back and forth. Has 2020 been the year that has drawn a line in the sand, exposing some influencers as ones who want to engage in politics and others who want to run from it entirely? We hypothesised yes and hypothesised that we may not be the only ones feeling frustrated at influencers we used to love who appear to be refusing to leave their cocoon of comfort and privilege. So Mish wrote this week's newsletter about it, calling it the great influencer divide. So many of you seem to agree. So let's talk about it a little bit more. Mish, what sparked your frustration at how certain influencers have dealt with 2020 and all it has entailed? I won't lie here. I feel... Uh, when have you ever lied on here? I don't know why I... T- I'm going to tell you my opinion. <laughs> I'm going to lie now. What sparked my frustration at influencers? It well, was pro- certain influencers, right? So, yeah, well, this is the thing. They are not all one and the same. It's not like there is one homogenous group of influencers who have the exact same beliefs and views on the world. Obviously, when we're talking about influencers, we are basically talking about anyone who holds influence on Instagram. And I think there is a particular pocket of influencers, I would say fashion influencers and what I would call aesthetic influencers, whose main purpose on the platform is to encourage us to look and dress a certain way, who just are so completely detached from what the world is going through right now. And I think it was a day where I had kind of been going through my Apple news feed and I'd been reading all these stories about the poor, poor people stuck in the nine towers in Melbourne who were basically in prison conditions, let's not beat around the bush, and locked in their very tiny apartments without access to food, without access to cleaning supplies sometimes. I was then reading about Kanye West thinking that women shouldn't be able to get abortions. I was reading about the latest shit that came out of Donald Trump's mouth, which I won't even repeat because why bother? 
and then logged onto Instagram and saw a whole bunch of influencers complaining about the most ridiculous things to apparently affect their lives right now, like PR packages or the many privileges that come with their career. And I just snapped. Like I'm just so sick of so many people being so completely and utterly detached from the stuff that matters right now. I think that's exactly it because the news cycle, particularly in Victoria in the last couple of weeks, has been incredibly hard to read. I think the story around the nine public housing towers was something that was incredibly hard for a lot of Melbournians to stomach, particularly given the fact that those towers were shut down when we weren't even in lockdown. And I think jumping from one app to another, reading the news and then jumping on Instagram to see this frivolous kind of shit on the platform is so jarring. And I know we used to use that word all the time. (laughs) Welcome back, jarring. But it was so, so jarring. And I think for me, it has exposed this real line in the sand that either some influencers have recognised recognised that they have a huge platform and even if they weren't particularly political before they kind of found their following that they've decided that they need to find their voice and use it and that's been really lovely to see but others haven't seen it as their responsibility because they don't consider themselves particularly political and have gone quietly and I think up until now, Mish, I feel like there are so few instances where we have demanded to know the political leanings of certain influences. And I think while there is this like line of thought that we should never demand of someone to be political or we should never demand of someone that we should know how they lean politically, I think that line of thought now in 2020 is completely shrouded and cloaked in privilege because you can only afford to be apolitical when politics doesn't affect you yeah. or you can't see how politics affects other people. And I think the stakes now are too high that it's not a good enough excuse if you have hundreds of thousands of followers to say, I'm not really political, I don't really read the news, I'm just here to post photos of clothes. Yeah, absolutely. And it goes even beyond politics. I think it goes to even reading a room. Yeah. Like read a room as to what the average woman or average person's problems in life right now are. If you are getting up on your Instagram stories and whining about something that is incredibly privileged, you are... Not mocking, but ignoring the hundreds or thousands of followers who are watching that Instagram story or reading your caption who might have just lost their jobs, who are looking to September and worrying about losing JobKeeper allowances, who might not be able to make rent this month. I just am baffled by the number of women on this platform. I don't follow many men, so that's why I'm saying women. I'm not saying women are worse than men in this instance at all. It's just anecdotal, right? Just anecdotal. But the number of women I have seen firsthand completely miss the mark and completely misread the room. Yeah, it's been pretty astounding to me and I think it's exposed either some pretty yuck politics or people complaining about shit that really doesn't matter. And I'm starting to get kind of pissed off at influencers who decide to abuse their platform rather than use it. And when I say that, I mean, I started to really eye roll at influencers who have huge followings that decide that now is the time to call out a big business for not serving them in the way that they wanted to be served, whether it might be an airline or a cafe or a delivery service or whatever it might be saying, they didn't do right by me. So I'm going to call them out publicly and abuse my platform in order to get them to respond to me and kind of fix this problem. And give me freebies. And give me free stuff and try to kind of win me back. And I don't like the idea that they can abuse that platform, but then not use it for good. Well, here's the thing, right? If you in the last week as an influencer have called out a massive brand because they did something bad by you, I would bloody hope you have called out Boohoo who has been mistreating thousands of workers. If you are that self-interested about one experience with a brand, I would hope you are at least self-aware enough to care about the people who are actually affected and their livelihoods are impacted day by day by some of these multinational corporations. But I think what we're seeing is a lot of like centering of themselves. And I think that's exactly the issue. And that's why we've found ourselves having this conversation is because a lot of these influencers, these, a lot of these people with huge followings haven't been able to do anything but centre themselves in 2020. And I think our bar for influencers right now is really high. And I think that's a really good thing. A great thing. I think I've wondered how long it would take us to get to this point. But I think we expect so much more from an influencer now than pretty houses and pretty photos. And I think that's a good thing. That's not to say they can't post photos of pretty houses and pretty clothes or whatever it might be. But I think it's their responsibility to do two things now, which is speak their mind and do the job that they have done this entire time, which is post whatever they want. Well, that's the thing. I am not expecting any one influencer to be vocal on every social justice issue in the world. That is 
unreasonable. It's a ridiculous demand. It's never going to happen. I am not vocal about every social justice issue in the world. There's something going on 24-7. You'd become the Guardian Australia on your Instagram page, right? No one is asking that. What people are asking is to be cognizant of how you're following and how the community is feeling right now and also to pay attention to what's happening on your doorstep. I'm not asking every influencer to post about what's happening in Yemen, which is awful and an atrocity. I am asking them to at least check themselves and monitor what they're putting out into the world given the mood of the room right now. One small exercise I did for the newsletter, which I'm really glad I did because, again, Zara, it was a bit of confirmation bias, which I love, as we all do, was that I took the three influencers who are frustrating me the most on Instagram right now and I popped their handles into Social Blade. Social Blade is an analytics and metrics platform for social media where you can get a grasp on someone's engagement, someone's follower account, how they're doing on the platform, basically, whether or not they are connecting well with their audience right now. And of the three influencers that I put in who I thought were not reading the room, they all had engagement rates of below 1%. And that is quite low. Unless you have millions and millions of followers, your engagement rate naturally goes down. If you're in the hundreds of thousands mark and you're getting 1%, you're not doing the best job. And unfortunately, if you're an Instagram influencer, your job is to engage and connect with your audience. I then compared and contrasted that with the influencers that I thought were doing the best job. Think Florence Given, Flex Mommy, those kind of really vocal, passionate, honest and generous influencers. Jesse King, did you do Jessie too? Jesse King is another one. They're all getting engagement rates of above 4%. So four times the amount that the fashion and beauty influencers are getting right now. And I think that's really crucial. Well, I think it says a lot about how we're responding to these kinds of influencers. Like I can come on mic as much as I want and say, I think we're kind of moving beyond this. And I think our bar for influencers is set higher, but it does kind of prove that we are engaging with our fingers and our thumbs with the influencers that we think are doing the most good. Yeah. And I encourage everyone listening to this right now to go do that. If you have someone on your Instagram feed who is an influencer that you think they're not doing a great job of reading the room right now, go look on Social Blade and look at that percentage of engagement because it tells a story and it's a bloody interesting one right now in 2020. And to the influencers who are really trying to use their voice and to try to find their voice during this time, I think it's important to note that we see you and I think a lot of people do see you and I think your followers are seeing you right now. So keep it up. I think it's on all of us to continue conversations like this that might not always be comfortable. But anyway, Mish, I think that might be all we have time for today. I think it is. Guys, thank you so much for listening. We have had the best time today and always, of course, we love you all. If you want to support Shameless, please click subscribe on your Apple Podcast app or click follow on Spotify. That is the number one way that people find our show and we get the word out there and we find new listeners, which means ultimately we can put more content out for you every single week. That's exactly the aim. Thank you so much again. As always, if you have thoughts on today's episode, go to shamelessthepodcast.com and go to our hotline page. Leave us a message. You may even feature on the podcast. We'll be back in your ears on Thursday with another very exciting in conversation. Bye. Oh, hi. It's Annabelle Lee and Louis Hansen here. We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret. Woo! Woo! We are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week. Now, every damn Friday morning, we are in your ears. That is so exciting. What a time (laughs) to be in your ear holes. So essentially, each episode, we unpack the real life secrets of our listeners. So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in -hmm. their lives, which let's be real, Annabelle, is all of us. It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip. So if you want to listen to... To our show, please do head to your favorite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.